Games Lifer Podcast. Hi, I'm Rick Henderson. I'm back at last with an all-new episode of my podcast, Games Lifer. After a bit of a hiatus, it returns with what is surely mine and possibly many others' dream guest in a huge double-sized edition that was quite frankly too darn good to cut down. He'll be talking through his gaming life and giving us a rundown of the five games that have meant the most to him, not just his favourite games but the ones with significant stories. It's also somewhat a reunion as my guest is none other than original Games Master host and old friend Dominic Diamond who I've barely managed to catch up with in around 25 years, pretty much since the curtain dropped on Series 7 of the Much Love Show. Hopefully you'll find plenty to enjoy, including many laughs, insights, Dom's thoughts on the Games Master reboot, and yes, our thoughts on that Christmas special. We started by chatting about Mr Diamond's earliest gaming memories. So one of the things that, um, I don't know if plague's the right word, uh, that we... Um, that I, I kind of remember during the early Games Master years that you uh, were experienced with people kind of saying that you weren't really a gamer. But you mm, yeah. genuinely were, weren't you? I was, yeah. From, uh, yeah, like when I was like t- uh, 8, 9, 10, 10, 11, well, no, 1983, ZX Spectrum, we had one of them. Before that, arcades. I was lucky that I, um, where I where I grew up, our broth. Uh, had a, a bona fide fairground, indoor fairground with a massive arcade section. So my my gran lived around the corner. And she used to take us to that, walking our dog, and and give us money to go in and play. So I mean, you know, Space Invaders, Galaxian, Zaxxon, Tron, Defender, all that stuff. I was playing from about the age of seven, eight, nine, and then we got the Spectrum. And my whole family was into that. So yeah, I mean, it, it was. I mean, obviously, I wasn't. You know. I wasn't a journal. I think that was the main kind of beef that people had, that I wasn't of the stature, you know, of a, a Neil West or a, 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 and a Frank O'Connor and a, a Jazz Rignall at that point. So I think there was a certain amount of, of doubt cast upon my my credibility, shall we say. But it was there, pal. Fucking hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> and those early days, you're saying the ZX Spectrum, did you progress from the ZX Spectrum at all? No, I still play it now, Rick. It's the only console I've ever had. <laughs> it just, it, it's held together with bits I of meant, duct tape. I meant when you were a kid. <laughs> no, do you know what, actually, we didn't because, um, no, we didn't. We just, we didn't, we weren't like Vic 20 or I think we had, we had Acorns at the school. So I played Elite when I was actually at school and I could never dock. That was the fucking problem. Yeah, with that, oh, that was um, horrendous. But I, I, I fell in love. It wasn't just, this is what was great about the Spectrum was it wasn't just the games. There was just an incredible culture with the Spectrum. And I think a lot of that was the look. I had that particular blocky, um, you know, only a certain amount of colour looks. The magazines were fantastic. And and I honestly think, a genuine, I'm not sounding pretentious, I think that uh, Spectrum graphics, uh, I look at today and they are works of art. They are genuine, yeah. genuine art. And I think that there was, I think because of, of of the idea of of Sir Clive Sinclair himself that it was a there was an idea that this was the anti-establishment kind of machine as well it was the you know that that his 
he deliberately wanted to put a home computer into every single home in Britain, and especially homes like mine that were working class homes. Yeah. And it was so it was just like you know we felt we were part of a class war and a class revolution, and I think that really really built a, a, a strong brand loyalty to to the ZX Spectrum. That I think a lot of us that's why we stayed with it. Do you think it's also because there was an undenying amount of Britishness about that? Uh, machine because i mean i even remember having the zx spectrum official printer and the printer um paper was heat sensitive which my nan left on a radiator before she gave it to me on christmas day so (laughs) so i got a roll of black toilet paper essentially (laughs) yeah well it's funny funny you say toilet paper because it was that was the same the same thing that we used to wipe our asses with at school i think it was the same company new New call that used to make. I remember that new call. Now wash your hands, please. I had printed on the paper as if we were complete sketchy bastards. <laughs> but um, in, ter- in terms of the British, the- I wasn't really a big fan of the Britishness, Rick, because uh, I'm Scottish. You know, ah. so we're, we're you, as you know, we're a little bit different. We're not flag shaggers like you guys. <laughs> and it's and so it starts, friends. So it starts in listener. Um. So how long did you play on the Spectrum for, do you reckon? And and then when did you find girls? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I would have been... I think basically we played the Spectrum just throughout my whole childhood. And then, you know, I mean, joking aside, there was that period of, you know, about 14, 15, when you start discovering music and girls, yeah. basically, especially music that... Um, uh, yeah, and so then I kind of drifted out for a couple of years, and then it wasn't until when I went to university in Bristol University, the uh, student union had a great little arcade section as well, and they had that. What was it? There was the futuristic American football arcade game, um, Grid something. I, I remember we played it was that by Atari, arcade. wasn't it? It was. Um... That's that's a pretty good fucking guess, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, early 90s arcade, Atari. Let's just say, yeah, yes, absolutely. It was Atari, definitely. I'm sure it was, because I'm sure Domark did a uh, game translation, uh, adaptation of it. Wow, there's a blast from the past. Are Domark one of those companies that are now basically like Bethesda? Because they all seem to be now. All those little guys, they're all just like massive now. Or did Domark disappear? No, Domark disappeared. Um, Sports Interactive kind of took the biggest franchise they had in championship manager um and that was the end of that yeah did they do lords of midnight was that originally domark it probably was actually they also did no 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 it was the first james bond games as well yeah no lords of midnight was atari rick (laughs) 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 that's gonna be the the default answer now that's atari (laughs) that's what i'm gonna label this episode as i think it was atari So did you? So you came back to gaming in a in a sort of like a brief way, but did you ever yeah. think it was going to be? But essentially, you were going to be synonymous with gaming, and gaming would end up being synonymous with you. No, not really, because um, uh, that would have been very weird. Um, you would have to be you. you, know, you that would... <laughs> yes, I had it written down in a sealed envelope. I said <laughs> it in nineteen eighty six. And I put it in a crypt in Jerusalem, <laughs> guarded by griffins. <laughs> um, but um, no, the uh, it's funny because I remember um, having lots of arguments with 
my girlfriend uh, Mavanwi, who you uh, obviously yeah. you met, and uh, when we were together at university, and because uh, I really wanted a Game Boy, and she was like, "No, no, you can't. You don't want to be wasting your time on those games because I wanted to be a stand-up comedian." She's like, "No, no, you've got to focus on your stand-up comedy and crap." And that's why I didn't, I didn't get the Game Boy. And so the first time I saw a Game Boy was when I auditioned for Games Master, and I went down to this this random church, um, which was a bit strange, just you know some random men saying, come and meet us in an East End church. And I just <laughs> gladly, yeah, sure. What could possibly go wrong? And I walk in and there's this this little spiky haired guy with, you know, spiky white hair. And I'm like, you know what? You should really put a bandana on that. Um, and um, <laughs> No, he didn't, he didn't have white hair. Did David have white hair? Did David have white hair? Yeah, he did. He I did don't know if one. he had yeah. white hair then. Right, later I didn't on. know him then. Yeah, he might have had dark hair then. But he definitely, yeah. definitely covered it up, and now I don't think he's got an awful lot of hair. But oh, he wow. will be a guest on a future episode of this podcast. I don't upset him quite yet. Um, that, so, I'm afraid that, that that ship has sailed for me, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a punctuation point there. So let's go into the first game of your life. Now, for uh, regular listeners, you'll know what this is. But if you're new to this podcast, what we do is we punctuate the chat with five games that mean the most to our guest and so we go through they're not necessarily the best games they're not necessarily the worst games they're just the most meaningful so with that all that said what's the first game of your lifetime games of a lifetime number one first game is the zx spectrum game and it's cockatoni wilf now that might seem a strange choice because you know People are like, what? People might not even remember that game, but that's exactly why I chose it, because I feel that the same Spectrum games get, get mentioned in every single time anyone talks about them. Man at Mino, Jet Set, Willy, all the uh, Ultimate games and everything, and rightly so, they're fantastic. My, uh, Kevin Toms, Football Manager, Ocean's Match Day, and they're all absolutely brilliant games. Daily Toms of Decathlon. But I thought, what well, people forget just the sheer breadth, the sheer number of ZX Spectrum games. They probably released... Yeah more spectrum games in one year in the uh in the 80s than have ever been released on any nintendo console ever <laughs> yeah so uh, and there's so many of them people forget about and cockatoni wolf was one of those games that was i mean okay i'll be honest it was a jet set willy homage shall we say but just set yeah. in the dinosaur world but it had that same almost and I'm not taking the piss, almost like open world kind of thing. That's what I loved about Jet Set Willy. It was that first open world platformer and Cockatoni Wolf had that same kind of thing. And it just showed that even when uh, even when the Spectrum games industry was kind of copying each other, they did it with a, with a bit of originality that was fantastic and a bit of humour as well. And there's games like that. And I still, there was a, there was a, a platform game that was set in a fairground as well. And I can't remember the name of it. And that was another one that was just absolutely mental that people probably forget about. I remember there was there was a Fall Guy game as well. Well, you've just forgotten just, it yourself. Yeah, no, there, was, there, was a, there was a Fall Guy uh, TV tie-in that was, you, know, you had to do stunts and everything. So I thought it was brilliant. And also Cockatoni Wolf was just one of those phrases that um, I think it was one of the many things that made me, like I love words and I've always yeah. loved words. And I think that um, people forget how how great words are in video games. And Cockatoni Wilf is just one of those phrases that jumps out. And it's like, yeah, 
I really, I really like that. And it, the phrase stuck in my head. And I'm, and that's why one of my children is called Cockatoni. And uh, <laughs> we shortened it to Tony, obviously. And my daughter's called Wilf, which is not that happy about. But now it's 2022 and, you know, gender fluidity. Thank fuck for that. It's all good. Do you know the other thing you've got in common with Cockatoni Wilf? Which is amazing that you've chosen this game. What? It is by a certain Richard Wilcox. No way! Who was the assistant producer of Games Master. Shut the front door. That and Airwolf, because it was released by Elite Systems, which was run by his brother. And Airwolf so, was a good game as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, the problem with Airwolf, and I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, is Richard couldn't be bothered to finish it, so he actually made one of the levels impossible to finish. <laughs> That's brilliant. Classic Dixler. Classic <laughs> yeah. Dixler. There you go. It's amazing that you've chosen that. It's also possibly the first game I bought I bought on the ZX Spectrum. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. That's really so, that makes me yeah. feel warm and fuzzy. So that's excellent. That was your game of your life at number one. Yeah. Right, now we're going to move on to Games Master. Um, yes. One of the main reasons we're here, something we both got in common. How did you get the gig at Games Master. How well, did it like, work out? Like a lot of things in my life is basically I, I, I failed at something bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I would say if, if I could give any advice to anybody who wanted to, to pursue a career in the media at any level, it's start at the top and fuck it up. And then that way you'll end up with something pretty good. So yeah, I auditioned for the word when I was doing stand up. they had open auditions um, and, uh, I got to the last 12 of that. Katie Puckrick got it eventually. And uh, so I was I was actually, I was really nearly, no, actually, no, I shouldn't flippantly say I was nearly suicidally depressed because I have been at that stage many times since and I wasn't then. But um, I was I was on such a downer because I'd had this weird life, Rick, where I was, you know, I, I, I was born in a, a wee working class council estate and, I, you know, I, I was a smart kid and I sat a scholarship to a posh boarding show and I got the scholarship and then my life was just amazing then and then I went to Bristol University and I was hanging out with people like Simon Pegg and David Walliams back before he you know was a wank and uh, the um and so everything that everything was so easy so like and then I started doing stand-up and it was really easy and I was doing stand-up with like Frank Skinner and Phil Jupitus in Birmingham when I was like, you know, 20 years old. And I was just like, life is a piece of piss. And then I, the auditions for the award, and I'm like, well, I'm going to absolutely sail this. And then I didn't. And I didn't get it. And then uh, my stand-up comedy started going really badly in London. And uh, so I was like, oh, no, uh, that that's it. The dream has has died. And I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go and get a different job. And then um, Adam Wood, producer of the first Games Master. I might even mean Chris Kelly, the researcher, phoned me up and said, oh, listen, we're doing this show called Games Master about video games, and uh, we we know that people at the Word have auditioned people when someone said they thought you'd be good for it. So I was like, oh, my God, I, I really couldn't believe it. It was the greatest stroke of luck. So then, yeah, I went and, and auditioned, and and it was funny because I didn't, I didn't plan to use innuendo. I didn't plan to do knob gags and because I don't think I ever really did them as a person maybe but but for some reason I did that day and there was a Cameron McCarthy, the director Adam Wood Dave Perry Chris Kelly and they laughed 
when I did one knob gag and I thought, oh, here we go. So uh-huh. then it was just like a, it was just like a machine gun of knob gaggery double entendre. And not only did they like it, but apparently, according to Jane in the in Games Master of the Oral History, and that and she said that's that's what Harry, her son, loved the most, that he laughed so much. And and I was the one he laughed at the most out of all the people who auditioned, and that's how I got the job. So it Amazing. really was all down to to knob gags. Which was just as well because you'd spent another seven years doing it. <laughs> seven? Holy shit, Rick, I'm fifty-two and I still use them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But it was a glorious era for knob gags. I mean, that was the thing. Is it, 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 and I've always felt this. Now, my connection with you started even before I joined Hewland. Um, yes. And the fact that I interviewed you, I think it was Christmas Eve, 91, I think okay. it was, for a magazine I was I was editing called Commodore Power. And um, and we, you, Games Master just kind of started, I think. And so I spoke to you over the phone and you very graciously gave me an interview on Christmas Eve. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, so I spoke to you then and it was so new and so different. But that whole era was about to be defined by Viz. And, you know, I just felt that the 90s was that. I would, I've been watching, I've been religiously watching Top of the Pops 90s, which is being broadcast in the UK at the moment, a weekly basis. Yeah. Um, and it's just knob gags. Is it? All, right. <laughs> <laughs> all the songs have got them in, all the presenters <laughs> are using them. <laughs> well, that, that, that's good. I wonder if I wonder if that I wonder if that subliminally influenced me at all then, or um, or if I influenced them. If it was a who who knob gagged first, who was the prime? What was the what who was patient zero of knob gags? <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember actually joining Hewland, um, and uh, I was in—I must admit—I was in a bit of awe with you at the time because obviously I hadn't—I didn't get on screen for a number of years. I was actually behind the scenes for quite a while. Yeah, before I was ever on screen. Um, and in fact, my first ever Games Master appearance was when you weren't on it. <laughs> it was with Dexter. So, really, I thought because that's interesting. I thought your first appearance was that piece you did with Marcus on the football games. I always thought that was. Do you remember was that bef- one, you guys? Uh, yeah, it was the yeah. second Games Master Live, and we'll go back to Games Master Live in a minute. It was the yeah. second Games Master Live after you left, and um, I was holding the arcade machine that Barry McGuigan was punching the shit out of. <laughs> That was my only, first on, appearance on Games Master. He's only little, though. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Um, but yeah, so the first two seasons um, was were quite uh, fun. Second season was definitely better. In terms of the product, yeah. yeah. In terms of in terms of my experience, uh, no. And this was what was um, this is what was amazing, really about about writing Games Master the Oral History was it's the first time I'd really kind of looked upon it as a whole and and Jack Templeton, the editor, really pushed me to um uh to go deeper and deeper and deeper into what it was like for me. Because he said this and you know, I when I started writing it, I was just again I was just writing dick jokes and Jack would just keep firing them back at me saying, No, 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 you don't understand that this is the definitive story of it. So you hold a very unique place and that you were a complete unknown and then you did the show that not only was the show one of the biggest ones on Channel 4, but you became this de facto face of this industry that became the biggest industry in the world. <laughs> yeah. And and it just happened. So, you know, so what was that like? 
So, I mean, I watched all the shows again. I think um, series series one was just a bit of a blur for me, and uh, and I didn't know what it was going to be like, you know, because we, we filmed them all in advance. I didn't know if it was going to be a, a success or anything like that. Series two was very strange because I was aware, obviously, of how big the show had got during series one. And at the same time, I hated um, pretty much every second of filming series two because, wow. and I know it sounds really, really, really superficial because I looked like a fucking prick and I was not, that was not my choice. And I hated what I wore. And it's very, you know, when you are, when you're the face of the show and I'm just surrounded all the time, it'd be like asking you know, put yourself in, in the most embarrassing situation you can think of and have photographs of it everywhere you look. Yeah. So I didn't like it. And also because I was kind of hung up on on being cool. And I, th- and I thought this jacket is going to absolutely ruin me. I'm never going to get that music show. I'm never going to get that movie review show or anything. I'm going to be stuck here dressed as a fucking red coat because of Cameron McAllister. So I go into <laughs> all that in the book. So it's weird. I, and also at the same time, it, it's... It was also really annoying when when you series two was the first time that we had that I had a, like an essay of that in celebrity guests and to get people like Vic Reeves on who were you know and and um, uh, and uh, Tony Slattery that and people that you you know you absolutely love yeah and feel that you look like a twat it's really embarrassing and and so I I, I think this is the book's the first time that I've actually gone into just how how much I I, I was uncomfortable making that. Uh, making series two. How did you feel when we got to Games Master Live, the first one? That well, was a strange thing, just generally strange. Totally and utterly screwed me up, um, because it's one thing like being aware of how you know, quote unquote, famous you are because of newspaper articles and everything like that, but. Games Master Live to be at the NEC and just to stand on a stage and see like thousands of people. Uh, bearing in mind that I, when I was doing stand up, there'd be about thirty, right? So yeah. you know, just thousands of people. Um, and that bit, that bit wasn't too bad actually because I that was that was okay. But it was the minute that you come off stage, the minute you stop quote unquote working, and you have to get through those people to where you're going. And people stop you, and you know, and they want autographs, and they're asking you stuff, and I'm like, now, I and I, um, I was very uncomfortable with that because I've I've always been very uncomfortable with with how I look, and and especially then with the fucking red jacket. So <laughs> it was really, I I was very uncomfortable with it, and I think that um, I realised that I hate, I, I didn't like, I didn't want to be famous, I didn't like that whole being recognised thing, and the only way that I could cope with it, unfortunately, was drinking. And that gave me th- that kind of bravado and confidence to talk to people who I didn't really know. And unfortunately, that drinking led to other things. And so, uh, so yeah, in answer to your question, Rick, what did I think of Games Master Live? Fucking nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, it was the first time I've probably met you, Games Master Live. Do you know, it's the first I... time I met all the characters, because it's the first time I met Kirk yeah. as well. That's where a lot oh, of right, things yeah. started, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, because I, uh, I only... I'd only started, I think, the week before Games Master Live. Um, yeah. Uh, to work on Games World for Sky. Yes. Um, and the real uh, start- show, the real, <laughs> the real games broadcast titan of the nineties. Oh, it, it was hard work. I tell you that much. Ed, I bet, but, I well, I, I direct, I directed on the first series yeah, of it. Yeah, five, yeah. five shows a week for yeah. twenty six weeks. 
It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I, you know, and I, um, I, I do like joking aside. I think that people should look back more on Games World than they do. It should have a much, much higher place because that was an incredible. Not just, not just to crank out any kind of content, you know, that regularly for that amount. But the fact, you know, all the characters to actually try and make it funny with, you know, the Violet Blade and everything like that. And that's fucking brilliant. That's that. That was an immense, immense achievement. And, but uh, you laid groundwork. Not yeah. Just to blow smoke out of your ass. Yeah. But that was the point. I think when we when we looked at Games World, we looked at Games Master and thought, how can we make this ruder and funnier? And funnier. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it wasn't. At times, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> My stuff wasn't. Anyway. <laughs> but David was a genius on Games World. Yeah, he was. Said, yeah. Know, David Williams. Yeah. Brilliant yeah. on Games World. Yeah. Um, I think that's another good punctuation point to go into the uh, Games of a Lifetime number two. Games of a Lifetime number two. What is that one again? <laughs> Sim City. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so why, no, why have you chosen this game? Okay, the reason I was going up one is that because I really have tried to make an effort to pick games that I've not spoken about before in, in interviews to make it fresh. <laughs> okay, so, so that was, I was like, fuck, what one was that? Okay, yeah, so uh, so SimCity on the Amiga, and uh, and that's an important game because the other thing that I had to keep doing as a result of Games Master was I kept having to go on points of view, rights reply, uh, news night, and counter accusations that video games were going to destroy the moral fiber of the nation's youth because of the violence in them. And I, I, I would see this, every show I went on, and I'm surprised no one ever tricked. Well, I'd say, yeah, well, let me tell you about this game, SimCity. On the Amiga, you can build an entire city, and you have to actually have sewage works that you have to and. <laughs> And people like people like Jeremy Paxman would go, oh, that's, that's quite remarkable. And if any one of those people had said, all right, okay, that's good, name me one other. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! Um, um, bollocks! Uh, a flight simulator! <laughs> so, and it, but it, it, was, it was probably also the first game that completely sucked time away without any kind of, like, conflict or a kind of aggressive thing you had to fight it was it was an utterly unique game the first of its kind and obviously there was lots of uh, games that did kind of similar things afterwards but there was just it was quite amazing if someone had said to you right you're going to be in your 20s you're going to be partying every night in london absolutely caning it you got best mates in the world but you're going to sit there in front of a computer doing urban planning <laughs> on a game. I would be like, are you kidding me? But there was just something about it. And I, I, I'm a great admirer of people who can make complex things simple enough for people like me. And it's the greatest, the greatest gift you can have in any kind of art form. And I just thought how, the, how those people manage to take something so complex, so dry, so dull, and make it utterly engaging and enthralling. That's some serious witchcraft there. Yeah, definitely. I, I've always felt the same with the Championship Manager and Football Manager series, and like the latest ones are so complex. 
Oh, I couldn't. Um, I not, can't even. Do you, do you still play them now? I can't no, even go. I for that reason, them. for that reason, yeah. they're so complex. I remember we used to play Championship Manager together at yeah. times around in your flat because you only lived yeah. around the corner from me when we first yeah. started. But um, but that was the, that was it, the longest games playing two player thing you could ever do <laughs> yeah. was have two player playing Championship Manager <laughs> at the same time because you know they have two games against each other in the whole season and it would just take fucking hours because that that was that was before transfer deadlines and that was when you could transfer all the time back then i yeah, think if I'm yeah. correct. so it was yeah. just like you would get through maybe like it would take about 10 years to get through a season <laughs> but we would do it it's like ashtrays overflowing with cigarettes and everything um, you God. and andy i said and andy, andy that's right yeah. yeah holy cow yeah yeah they were good days they were good days but that is a prime example of making something that is actually a really complex thing but actually boiling it down to constituent parts yeah and making it fun yeah. Now yeah. they they barely boil it down to its constituent parts. It's like right. you might as well be a football manager to play yeah. a football manager now. Yeah. That's uh, you know it's so complex. Yeah, um, well, it's a it's a stupidly complex game now, isn't it? Unless yeah. you know, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, I don't want to be that in my day, but yeah, no football is it's a fucking it's a ridiculous game now. Oh, but you're a Liverpool fan, aren't you? You're yeah, yeah. Go, oh, man, you'll be fucking flushed now. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> you and Marcus, you and Marcus Beer. Oh my God! <laughs> um, right, let's go back to your life, and and we didn't kind of touch upon the fact that you left Games Master. Yeah, and uh, and it's been documented why you. You, I think you've said that it was because of the McDonald's tie-in. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure that was the only reason. Well, you know, we around the time of Games Master Live, we started employing some really dodgy people. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was, uh, <laughs> the, uh, Richard Osman, you're talking about. <laughs> so the um, uh, well. Again, I, I go into a lot. Of, it's an interesting yeah. part of the book, actually, because um, it's funny. In my head, it was all about McDonald's, right? Yeah. And to this day, yeah. So, yeah, of course, it was about the McDonald's sponsorship. I wasn't. I was very anti-McDonald's. My little brother, in particular, was a was like a thirteen-year-old teenage anti-McDonald's campaigner who would leaflet McDonald's in Milton Keynes with his own little handmade stuff, <laughs> it which is brilliant. Um, but Jane Hewland, the big Uber boss of the whole show, uh, she, and her contributions to the book, she, she mentions other things. And I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. And um, and so there was also a part of it to do with my my agent, uh, the wonderfully named Tony Fox, who sadly no longer with us, but was a, 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 a titan of an old school smash and nicey kind of showbiz <laughs> yeah. agent. And, you know, like the cigar and everything like that. And he um, he was just phenomenal at, just squeezing every single pound he could out of Games Master. He he got me opening up Virgin Game Centers up and down the land, like tons of shop owners, everything like that. And there was a lot of stuff that Channel 4 or Hewland or both kept coming back and saying, no, Dominic can't do that, Tony, because we've signed a deal with this yeah. company to do a, a rival thing. And Tony's argument was, well, if you Dominic's the face of the show. If you're going to do that, pay him more so we don't have yeah. to go out and do this stuff. And so they wouldn't. And then at the same time was the McDonald's thing came in, which to me was the final straw of the thing that I couldn't control, that I wasn't yeah. getting any money for. Um, and I was fundamentally opposed to on principle. So that was it. So I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not doing it. And, uh, 
and and I walked. And what's funny is that um, and I was I I mean I was anti McDonald's for many 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 years until my uh, until my second year in Canada, two thousand and ten, and I was I was working in Nova Scotia and uh in the, the the capital of the province Halifax and I lived in Mahone Bay about an hour south and I was driving back from a show and I had to I had to type up something and send it using the internet uh, I think they call I think that was a very complex way of describing an email there sorry <laughs> and we didn't have phones that could do it back in 2010 so I had to look around for somewhere and the McDonald's outside Halifax was the first fast food place that had free wi-fi so I went in there, and that just shows what a brilliant idea it was for them to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I went in there just to use the Wi-Fi, and seven seconds after I went in, I was devouring a Big Mac because the smell <laughs> was just brilliant. And I was like, oh, my God. And it's still it's the greatest fucking thing I've ever eaten in my life. So <laughs> that principle went right out the window. But they're a very different company. Yeah, now. they're very much more ethical now than yeah, they were yeah. then. Yeah, I and mean, it's it all hundred percent, dodgy... and it's all healthy now, isn't it? Fast food burgers—they're all made of plants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's just say Rick Big Bum is now Rick Big all over. <laughs> Rick Big Bum. Oh, Finally, brilliant. I've caught up with my my posterior <laughs> with my bum. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, did you uh, did you regret it at the time once Games Master Season Three started? No, because it was shit. Uh, I mean, oh, that, that was, you know, the, the, the reaction to it was, was so bad against Master 3 uh, that I never, you know, I never regretted it from that point of view. And it, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like someone had taken over for me and people were saying, oh, he's much better because that, that obviously that would have been bad. Um, but and also because I was I was on the cusp of doing so much great stuff. I was doing a comedy pilot for the BBC with Hattrick. Um, with David Williams, Richard Osman, yeah. Simon Pegg, even addition for that, and um, and we got so close to pulling it off, and it would have changed my life. And then uh, Janet Street Porter didn't get the head of BBC Two. Uh, Michael Jackson did instead. Not that Michael Jackson, very different Michael Jackson. <laughs> but I might have had more chance if I had been the other Michael Jackson. And and he just didn't like me or us or the program at all. And so it. Um, it actually was quite fortuitous the way that season three turned out in that, you know, that apparently, you know, Channel 4 had said, look, you know, the only way we'll, we'll bring yeah. it back, but you need to get Dominic back. And at the same time, I was like, fuck, I need a job. And so it was all this this attempt to to move out of that has ended quite catastrophically. <laughs> so, you know, let's let's go back. And I think I went back, I think I went back kind of grudgingly because I was like, oh, it's a backward step. But then I walked in and I met Johnny Finch, yeah, who was the new producer. And I fell in love with the guy. I mean, I did. It was like complete, proper. He was an amazing guy, one of the greatest men I've ever met. And Steve Wright, the director, and the Dixter, and just that, you know, just the whole team. And it was like, it, that's when Games Master changed from being a job and a, and a, and a, and a, a show to being, I am hanging out with the best bunch of guys I can imagine. And we're having a laugh using something we love, video games, and someone's putting a camera on us. And you don't, you very rarely get the chance to do that. It was, it was such a sea change. Yeah. So that, that fourth season in hell. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you, do you feel sorry for Dexter 
in some ways. That it was an impossible it was an impossible ask for on his part to yes. come in and do it. One hundred percent. And and what I what I would say to people is one of the things that I am the most happy about the Games Master book is that Dexter Fletcher contributes. That's and amazing. It's incredible. And I, we, we jacked the editor, tried so hard to get him, and because he does not talk about Games Master. No. And because it, it really it fucked him up. Really, that whole reaction to it at his age really, really screwed him up. Uh, I mean, fucking did all right in the end, though. Fair play. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of us is a massive Hollywood director, and it ain't me. Um, but what was amazing, Rick, was when I read that section of the book and read what everybody said about working with Dexter, everybody was brilliant about him. They said he was a total pro. He was a fucking lovely guy. He worked his socks off. But what people don't realize, and they, they realize now finally with the book, everything was literally and metaphorically falling apart behind the scenes in Series 3. Yeah. You know, because it, was, it wasn't it was just me that left. You know, Adam Wood left, Cameron left, so they lost the producer, the director. And there was a load of people who would admit that, you know, in that classic way that Jane liked to do was over-promote young people and see if they sunk or swim. <laughs> and it was, it was a brilliant way of doing it and it made a, a lot of people, you know, became great directors and producers because of it. Just not that series. And um, so I think people will have a completely different view of Dexter. Because in the same way that I was projected as a guy who wore red jackets and dressed like a red coat in a real life, Dexter was projected as the face of the show, and it was not his fault at all. But he had to carry the can, and it was uh, it, it was um, shockingly unfair. And I and I contributed to it because I slagged it off because I felt pissed off for that first link where he held yeah. up the burnt red jacket. And um, so, do you know who wrote that bit? By the way, you know who who claims they wrote it. What the Pete, that that opening gag? This this blank's burnt out, right? You know when they held up the burnt red jacket, the, the opening oh, yeah. link. Apparently that was Peter Scott that wrote that. <laughs> what a wee wank! But to be fair, he was kind of thrown in at the deep end. But um, I, uh, my confession on it is, I was the one who auditioned and chose Dexter Fletcher. Well, that's a great testament to your fucking ability, isn't it? <laughs> but it was also my first commentary. Because I was co-commentating during the auditions, yeah, and it was, so, uh, and to be fair, it's a small pool of talent. Yeah. In the fact that so, the only two, the last remaining two, were Dexter Fletcher or the other one from Press Gang, who was sort of like the cheeky Cockney one out of Press Gang. I thought Dexter was the cheeky cock. Oh no, was he American in Press Gang? He was American in Press Gang. That's right. Yeah, which That's is right. another criticism he got when he. When he did Games Master, is they all went, why is he putting on that stupid Cockney accent? <laughs> so what was um, so, so tell me what, what was it like in that edition then? Thing is, right, by this point, Games World was going great guns and it was doing really well. And we were just yeah. about to think going second season, or we might have just started the second season and we'd really turned that around. Yeah. The first season of Games World was odd. Yeah. Second season we found our feet. Yeah. And um so to be asked to do that and and to replace you, it must must be said. A lot of people are sort of thinking, well, we're now we've got a lot to do, and we're doing mm. this, and we're hiring all these good people for our own show. So yeah, um, and so, so who who else who else auditioned for it? Because I don't know any of this. Who, the, who else? Those are the only two I remember. Right. Um, maybe I weren't in some of the other auditions, but certainly those are the last two. 
I mean, obviously, Dave, Dave would have thrown his hat in the ring pretty fucking quickly. No, no, I don't. Oh, he would have. Of course, he would have. I don't have. remember Dave doing that. I, he was. He does claim to have been the savior of season three, because when yeah. it switched halfway through, yeah, it was the. It was we tried to do it in the normal format with Tim Boone and all that yeah. sort of thing at the beginning, and then halfway through season three, so all of a sudden it became the the prison related. Yeah. Um, team championships, yeah, which was much better than what it was, yeah. But it wasn't Gamesmaster. But Dave, Dave also thinks he's the savior of series one and series two and series four <laughs> and series five and series six and probably series seven, even though he wasn't on it. <laughs> I would say for that, yes, Dave definitely was the savior of season seven. <laughs> Dave, I love you. He likes to be loved. He needs to be he's, loved. He does. He does. He does. And he's, he's an all right guy. And do you um, know what? What, what? Listen, while we're on this subject, can I just say as well that I'm deeply grateful to Dave's contributions to uh, Games Master of the Oral History because he could have, quite rightly, been a right prick about it. Because it would yeah. be the same. It would not. And the, you know, so now, Dave, major contribution to Games Master, right? We could not have done Games Master without him, right? Well, we could have. But it wouldn't have been as funny, and um, so uh, I'm I'm so grateful because he could have just gone. No, I'm not, I'm not fucking helping you out. Fuck you guys. You are you yeah. are supposed to be. Or he he was offered money, right? And I and I don't mind saying this because this is this is a yeah. mark of what a good guy he is. He'd said no. I do not want a penny. I don't Which want a penny. On him. I want to do this because I want the story told of the show. And I thought, you know what? Fair play. And so I got I got more money then. <laughs> <laughs> and I need it more because I don't have a successful tattoo business and Dave does. So he's a very good tattoo artist. He's a fucking brilliant tattooist. But yeah. he was always really good at drawing though. He really well, I remember back then, you know, when the, the mag stuff and everything, he would draw the stuff in that. And uh, but his tattoos are ridiculously brilliant. I've always wanted to get a tattoo done from him, um, just not of Mario. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> back, back to your return to Games Master. Yes. And, and I come onto the scene on series, season five after being beaten up by some Dutch squaddies, <laughs> which was just the most bizarre thing to have ever happened to me, now, certainly. Yeah, now I see, I, I watched it because, and we'll get on to another of my favourite games in a minute, but that was on the shortest to be one of my favourite games, that big golf simulator that Stephen Henry played. Um, and it was so funny watching it back because, right, <laughs> when I when I when I read the bit your bit about that in the Games Master book, and I was laughing so loud because I remember that. And you know, Rick, you know that we used to have a certain nickname for you, right? You would always have a story. There was always something, right? Yeah. And whether it was you know you having trials for AC Milan or whatever when you Scarborough, <laughs> it was Scarborough. Scarborough, AC Milan, you know, and um, so we would say we coined about Rick and Ori sometimes after Jack and Ori, and I remember that, that story. Oh, you turning up? Are you all right, Rick? Anyone? Anyone else? You're right, Rick. Yeah, fine, thanks. You're right. No, I got fucking beat up by a squad. He spent the night in the fucking hospital. Went out to see the police and this and that. I'm just like, is this fucking true or not? But when I watched that challenge back yesterday, yeah, there is. I have a massive eye. You do, but there's also there's a you've got a slightly haunted look, and I don't know if that's 
nerves at the first because you I mean it, the nerves didn't show you what you said because you were brilliant right from the off but there's just a look in your eyes and I'm like is this him going oh shit this is telly and this is games master or is he thinking of the squaddies blows raining down on him the <laughs> truth is I couldn't actually see anything <laughs> because my eye was shut <laughs> makeup did an amazing job um, oh, that man. episode as well is because it was Stephen Hendry playing a golf yeah. simulator yeah um I also remember that day specifically, and I was going to ask you this question hmm. because uh, I don't think you've ever said publicly that you stole Stephen Hendry's cue and hid it. And I Did remember I? telling a lot of people this. Well, see, and, no. and uh, <laughs> other people then told me that they got in trouble for that. But again, Rick, and I have to say, and this is no word of a lie, I, I've, I wish I didn't see, I didn't, I didn't even think that's made it into the book. There are so many things like that, that as a result of the book, that I, I completely don't remember doing because, you know, I was partying yeah. a lot at the time. Not on set. I have to say that, you know, it wasn't like I was hoovering up a line of Charlie and then going on to film the show. But it was very much as soon as the camera stopped rolling, I was. And so I, I, I do think that there was there's, there is some permanent memory damage there. And there was so... Like there was one part of the book where I remember I was um I got in touch with the Dixter and it was me, Steve Wright and the Dixter when we were over in America. And I was like, I remember I see Dixter, it's Dominic. I remember there was um when we were over there and uh, before we went off to film at Microsoft, we were in San Francisco and I remember we did this thing backstage with Supergrass and I fell out with Mark Lamar and I think it's because I said this and he said that and then we went to the exotic erotic Halloween ball and uh, and the Dixter said, yeah, and then we nearly got killed by a Latino gang and I'm like, what the fuck? So there's so much stuff like that <laughs> and obviously Stephen Hendry's pool cue, great things that I actually have no recollection of whatsoever um there are, qu- there are quite a few things like that there are quite a few little things the same here same here there are shows that i've done i have no recollection of whatsoever there are shows i've done that i'm yeah. fucking glad i don't remember not games I, master but the rest of my career <laughs> i was reminded that i did a show with uh trevor and simon dressed as a monk and i had really? and i took over from um charlie brooker halfway no through the series it was a richard wilcox production and I, I only recently, someone said that I did that, and I said, I want proof because I can't remember that at all. I would have loved to have worked with them. Trevor and Simon were so I, funny. Funniest thing is, I do remember the rap party. Right. I remember meeting Trevor and Simon, but I'd associated yeah. it somehow in my memory as happening for some yeah. other reason. They were funny. But apparently it was for that. And then, two weeks later, I got a... Um, a a call from Live and Kicking. Yeah. Asking if I wanted to audition be on Live and Kicking as their new regular yeah. games expert. Yeah. And uh, I got an agent and then he blew it for me. The agent, AD, ended up getting Raheem Sterling signed away from Liverpool. Always a twat. <laughs> Always a twat. <laughs> now, my opinion of Games Master, of the run that I certainly was involved in, is that season The Rick Henderson six. era, as we call it. <laughs> obviously, <No>. obviously. <laughs> um, is season six was absolutely yeah. 100% the best. Yeah. Is that your, th- your favourite? 
I think that's what most people would say. It's certainly the most polished. It's the most ambitious. Uh, everybody knew what, what they were doing. We all kind of fell into our roles. We knew what they were. It was really good and obviously it has, you know, the most remembered moment of the show. But I have to say from, from a personal point of view, season seven is my favourite because uh, having, you know, having... The, the classic story that I'm sure people don't actually believe is possible, but that we said to Channel 4, you know, that's it after season six. You know, just look at the last episode of season six. We cancel ourselves. And and then for them to forget to cancel it and literally call up Hewland asking for the publicity shots for series seven to like an empty <laughs> office. Um, but what was great about that was it was a bonus level, uh, I felt for me. And it was just like, okay, let's just have another time hanging out with my pals and there is we don't have to please anyone except for ourselves and the the atmosphere i mean listen the atmosphere in four five six and seven was fantastic but i think there was something about series seven and maybe it's because it was a the island and it was sunny and everything but i just remember everyone was just smiling all the time and it was it was just so um i, I loved it it was the happiest i've kind of ever been i think on the set but series six yeah, that that's the one that you look back and go, that was absolutely the pinnacle of, of of what we did. My only problem with season six is that I ended up dressing and looking much like Nicholas Lindhurst had just come out of E seventeen. For some <laughs> weird reason, I dyed my hair bright orange. <laughs> that's right. That's oh shit. Yes. And also, God. then decided on top of that, I was going to wear a massively collared orange bright shirt. That's right. Yeah. With Violet Blade, wasn't it? It just started infecting yeah, all of you. I have no life. idea why I did that. So I, I look back on it now and just cringe. But it was Horrible. it was good, and, and it was um I've you know I, I'm I'm very grateful for all the amazing co-commentators we had uh, over the years, and and it was we were so lucky that so many titans of game and journalism were co-commentators on series one and two and three and four. Um, but you know I, by series six. That that group, I mean, you, Kirk, the just unbelievable Derek Lynch, and uh, and Dave was was just and that was your dream. That was the dream lineup. That was the dream fuckers. You were all so different, and you were all so fucking good at what you did in so many different ways that it was uh, that was just like you know that was phenomenal that lineup. On Dave's point as well, I will say this. I think I've said this on another podcast before, is that what I always felt with Dave at that point is that he had the most to lose. I had nothing to lose. No. I had nothing. I I had no credibility anyway, so I didn't really. So I just went for it. But no, but see, that's Dave's problem. And I'm really glad that everybody, um, you know, except for Derek Lynch, because nobody knows where the fuck he is (laughs) at all. (laughs) You cannot... Find, nobody can find Derek Lynch, and it's a great shame. Um, but uh, I'm glad that um, that everybody revisits the Mario uh, incident again because, A, I think Dave tells a slightly different story than he's told the last 20, 30 years. But also, it is a genuine, it is, it is Games Master as Shakespearean tragedy with Dave as the tragic hero with the fatal flaw. And his fatal flaw is... He took himself seriously, and he was the only one that did. And by season six, the 
the whole point about Games Master was it's a, a show that took nothing seriously, that took shots at everything. We were a yeah. show about video games and we ripped the piss out of video games. We got exclusive things out in America and we went there and we took the piss out of the people who'd given us exclusives. We took the piss out of each other. We took the piss out of contestants, everything, right? And there was just that, you know, there was just that one guy, Dave, and the less we took it seriously, the more Dave took it seriously. And he got painted into this corner because he based his persona, his yeah. brand, on gaming credibility. And this was not really the show for that. And so it was going to, there was going to be an unstoppable force, a movable object at some point. And, and, and that was it on that day. And that's a perfect moment to go into the next game of your lifetime and we'll pick that up afterwards. So um, game number three of the games of your lifetime. Games of a lifetime. Number three. Game number three is Cool Spot on the Mega Drive. Now, again, that's probably not in the list of many people's most memorable games. I think it was a perfectly acceptable platformer for the time. But for me, it symbolises what an incredible life that I, that we all led in the 90s in gaming. Because I spent a wonderful day driving around Hollywood in a massive stretch limo with Danielle Woody Wujat, the greatest figure in the history of games PR, and a giant uh, fluffy cool spot and champagne stopping in front of all the landmarks for photographs with cool spot and her. And we were got absolutely shit faced and we missed our flight in the end. But it was just one of those wonderful days that we all had in that industry. We were always flying over to America. We were going to CESs and, and even in Britain, the games launches. I mean, I remember things like Virgin Games, the seventh guest launch which was a murder mystery night in some big mansion place and it was just every day there was something like that and it was because the industry was a awash with money but also it wasn't just us on games master that were young kids who were given the chance to play in the sandbox but most of the people in the games companies were young kids as well and the creativity that they had and we all just got it and we were all so passionate and so fucking hard working and not afraid to throw ideas and to say things like Woody would say to me all right do you want to come out fly a spitfire with Gary Newman and we'll get cool spot in the shot (laughs) fuck it why not why wouldn't you and it was just it was glorious it was just the absolute best time of of my life and it was uh and it was and you know what and everybody says that even like yeah because let's face it rick there are there are a lot of people who were those kind of marketing guys or whatever in games in the 90s who are now bazillionaires right (laughs) they basically all are apart from me and even they still look back and go oh fuck nothing was like the 90s nothing was like the 90s and what's also great about it is that it wasn't like you know, it, obviously there was there was laddie culture and, you know, Konami stands at CES would always have, you know, yeah. ladies in bikinis. Well, you know, we had that on Games Master as well. But it, nobody was bullied. It wasn't targeted. It wasn't like these horrible no. nightmare stories you hear about certain games companies and we all know who they are. Everybody was was up for it. Everybody was having a laugh. And there was an amazing spirit of just love I mean, it was. It was just fucking. We loved it. We loved each other. We loved what we were doing, uh, and and we had 
a ton of fucking money to party. And it was just absolutely brilliant. I do remember even even during the uh, filming days, we used to just film and then go to a games party. Yeah. And then oh, get back yeah. to the set at seven in the morning and yeah. then film and then go yeah. to another games party. Yeah. It was just it was just constant. Um, didn't do me liver any good, and now I've got gout. But apart from that, oh, do you know what? See, I suffer from gout, or at least uh, I, there you go. I did. No, but ah. I did, Rick. See, and and really badly. And I I I um I could show you photos. I'm not going to though because <laughs> my my toes look like fucking turnips. Okay. Yeah. And and I tried everything. But I went on a medication. This is how old we are now. <laughs> fucking talking about <laughs> gout medication. No fucking wonder they didn't use us in the reboot. Anyway, they, um, so I'm on this thing called allopurinol, and I take it every day. Oh, right? I've heard and it's of a, this. Rick, it's a miracle. It's a, I don't have gout at all. I haven't changed the amount I drink. Uh, I, I, I eat less meat now because uh, yeah. two-thirds of my kids are vegans. Um, but uh, I still eat a lot of cheese because I'm Scottish and we're 90% cheese. Um, but the, the gout has gone. Get onto allopurinol, mate. It's a fuck it, it's a lifesaver. It'll change your life. Brilliant. So, you know, I knew there would be one thing in this that would be educational. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just one. So we're going to come back into um, part four yeah. uh, of your lifetime, and it, we'll go back to the Christmas special. Because thing is, and I almost every single podcast that I've appeared on, I refuse to talk about it. And the reason oh. why I refuse to talk about it is because Dave has his side of the story. You have yours. I don't really want to upset either of you. But yeah. from my perspective, what happened was um, was it started the day before. And uh, and Dave had asked for certain reassurances. Yes, I, I know that part. Yeah. Yeah. So the day before, um, Richard Wilcox had come up to me and he said, this is happening. What, yeah. What's your take on it? And I said, well, it'll come on. It'll be good fun. Yeah. Um, went on the show the next day, Dave didn't turn up for what was it, three, four hours after it was meant to have started. And this is the bit that sort of like I don't really hear many people talk about is that me and Kirk got absolutely pissed. <laughs> I mean, proper pissed. Because <laughs> we had to wait for hours. And now, like you say, Derek was a consummate professional. Yeah, Derek, you know, would just sort of like sit in the corner, and he was fine. Or, well, he didn't. <laughs> Derek didn't need to get drunk. Derek just no, laughed from Kurt, morning till night. Anyway, we went through two bottles of champagne at least. Because <laughs> thing is, is the other pe- the other thing is that that show was the last show to be filmed that series. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So we were going off to a um, a rap party that evening, and it was and one they were all, they also had bottles of champagne. Yeah, in, that was a in hell the green room party. that yeah. was meant to be for the crew. Yeah. <laughs> And me and Kirk just went through it. So, <laughs> so the thing thing about that Mario challenge. Well, that explains that how show, Kirk was. That well, explains how Kirk was so bad. Yeah, here's the thing, and this is the bit that's never said, right? David already said, "I'm not playing this. I don't want to play this thing," which was only part of the tale of that day because the argument wasn't about Mario. The argument was about the questions for the show. Yeah. Because of the credibility thing, and again, I can, I can, I, I think it was wrong, but I can understand his stance of not wanting to look like a dick when it came to actual facts about video games. Yes, and so do I now. Yes, no, yeah. I, and I because he yes, was I the editor of a big magazine yeah. about video games, and he didn't really want to be seen as someone who didn't know an awful lot about them. So I could kind of understand that. I didn't care. I genuinely, certainly, by the time it started filming, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know what was going on. 
um, Kirk, Kirk as well. By that point, he could easily have fallen off the Mario slide first go because he was he was a bit tipsy, you know, yeah. easily. Yeah. Uh, but it was almost like Dave didn't want to try, and because he didn't want to try, he was always setting himself up to fail. Yeah, I, it's um, it's interesting. What annoyed me about see if Dave had come up to me. Because let's face it, Rick, there were times on that show that perhaps the finished product was maybe not completely 100% genuine. I'm just going to go out there and say that maybe Yuri Geller did not play that game using his <laughs> mind alone, right? So, you know, that's all I'm saying. And um, so, I listen, I was always happy to have a story and have, you know, something fun that, you know, if, if, if David come up to me and said, look, listen, honestly, Dominic, you can't hang me out to dry on this. And Dave could have legitimately said, look, I don't fucking trust you here. Right, yeah. you're gonna make like, yeah. and and then I could say, okay, well let let's make this into a fucking story. Let's have a beginning, a middle, and end. But at the same time, I might have been just as likely to say, fuck you, Dave, right? Because, and this is what I realised through going through uh, for the book. This happened very close to when I had my altercation with David Williams and Matt Lucas on Dom and Kirk's Night of Plenty. And ah. I didn't realise that until I wrote the book. So I just come from a situation where one of my former best friends, David Williams, had fucked with one of my shows on live TV. And I walked into this situation where, as far as I was concerned, someone else was trying to fuck with one of my shows and I just had enough. And and I, you know, and I, I think there's the other bits that, there's bits in the book where I that I remember now that shall we say there was a little bit, and this might well be the reason that Dave was so late. Was um, th- there's a violent side of the story which I'm not proud of, and um, that people will finally read about in the book. Let's leave. Yeah, that's that. a good trailer for the book. There. Yeah, that's a good teaser. Um, but the upshot of it was, I then had a relationship with Dave afterwards because I re I hired him for my reboot of Games World. So it oh, was. Okay. So I got to say sorry to him then. What, what, so, was, what, was, what what's really was really frustrating was uh, because of COVID um, that when Jack, the editor, and Darren, the publisher, and me were talking about the launch of Games Master Little History when it when it finally came out, and and I always wanted to have a reunion for everyone in the UK, yeah. and it started off it was just like, well, you know, let's let's all just meet up in the pub, and I'm like, no, 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 let's do something better, and so I really wanted to have a live show in a theatre, in in London, start off in London, with all of us here, like one of those San Diego Comic-Con panels, and to have me and you and Kirk and Dave and, well, Derek, fuck you, whatever he is, you know, and, um, you know, and, and, and Johnny Finch and, and Steve yeah. Wright is another one who's fucking impossible to get hold of. Um, but I wanted to do that, and I wanted us to actually have that chance to try. We'd be, and every single fan of Gaze Master would fucking kill for that. And I thought it would be a really lovely thing and a really way, a good way to kind of put a bow on it. But then, um, you know, but then Boris Johnson killed everyone's gran because of his fucking public mismanagement of health <laughs> policy. And uh, so, I, but I want, one day, Rick, I'm, I'm determined to do that. I will do that. I will have us all together uh, doing a live show with an audience in a theater and, and we'll revisit it and we'll talk about it. And, and I think that'll be great because it's, 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 it's a mythic, it's a mythic status tale. Now it is one of the great TV tales of the nineties. 
It'd be like that Take That Reunion documentary that they did where uh, Howard Donald just kept going, is he coming? Is he coming? <laughs> Which is really tragic. <laughs> i tell you what's funny. is that, so, so Robbie Williams did the foreword for the Games Master book, and even now he's fucking having a pop at Jason Orange for beating him. <laughs> it's super brilliant. It's There's great. another one. Who knows where he is? Jason Orange, uh, yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, so let's get right at the end of let's let's put a, a full stop on the games master. I think that was a good way of ending almost season seven. We always knew it was going to be the end because you wanted it to be the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, well, yeah, because and again, this is what's really funny was um, so kind of like when I left for series two. So part of the reason for for finishing at the end of series six was that uh, Channel 5 was launching and they'd offered me uh, two sports shows on it, Live and Dangerous and the Saturday show Turnstile. And I was, I'd was i always done this radio show for BBC Five Live Sports Call and uh, they'd offered me another show. I had my own production company making those shows and I was like, okay, I'm moving into sport. This is it. This is my yeah. thing. You know, I've done the video games. I want to have a, a branching career. So I was going to become the sports guy. So that was, that was perfect. Games Master finishes, go off and do the sport. Well, it... You know, as I've had in numerous occasions in my career, I, I have a tendency to not like. It's not that I don't like working with management. I just don't like working with arseholes. And unfortunately, yeah. I did end up that the head of Radio Five, the head of Channel Five, and I didn't see eye to eye. And at one point, I was in a meeting, and he was telling me to be less dangerous on a show called Live and Dangerous. <laughs> so I, I couldn't understand that. So I quit that. I quit all my Channel 5 shows. and Well, no, actually, I was about to quit them. I wasn't happy. And then literally that's when Johnny Finch phoned up and said, you're not going to believe this. They forgot to cancel Games Master. <laughs> and I was just like, I'll fucking be there tomorrow. <laughs> phoned up Channel 5. I'm quitting this show. I'm fucking quitting that show. Boom. So that was how it also worked out great. <laughs> and, um, so that was, uh, so it was that, that was another reason of why it felt like, I honestly felt it was like, you know, like, God had said, you know what? I'm going to let all you guys do this one more time. That was brilliant. The timing was great. Do you think that it was a good ending then uh, with season seven's end? Yes. Do you think that was it? We'd kind of done everything. I, I think that uh, it's funny. I was talking to some kids yesterday on a podcast and the guy, the guy was saying, one of them was saying, listen, you know, he said, I'm not being funny. He said, but that ending of that last show um, was for me the most mind blowing bit of television that I remember as a kid because you know, we, we, we took the stage apart bit by bit. And by the end of it, it's just me sitting there in yep. my normal clothes. And I think that um, what's interesting is that, that that was the first thing I wrote for that whole series, Rick. As soon as Johnny said, we're doing it again, he put the phone and I'm like, right. And I had this idea. I'm like, we are going to, I'm going to make sure they can't ever bring it back. We're going to take the fucking show apart. So you can't have it anymore. <laughs> Little did I know, yeah. 30 years on. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I'm immensely proud of that. I think it was really, really groundbreaking. And it's the best thing I've ever written, the best thing I've ever done in my entire career. And, and fair play to Channel 4. Well, ish. I mean, they never watched the show, did they? So, you know, but, um, you know, I, I, I still can't believe we were allowed to do that because it was just like so out there, you know. It was a perfect end. And, the, yeah. and the, I remember the crawler as well, which just went on forever because it was every single person every that ever worked on Games Master. Yeah, and then Patrick, and then Patrick yeah. in his real clothes walking out. Yeah, that was just beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, it was. It was. It was a, it's a, a, a quite a poignant and quite emotional moment actually. But it was. It uh, was. It was very emotional though. I mean, you know, we we 
we grew up during, well, that didn't grow up too much, but that was a massive part of our formative years, you know, for all of us as human beings working on that show. And so it was incredibly emotional saying goodbye to it, um, you know, and I'm glad that we made it emotional because it was really fucking important. Yeah. And, and it was amazing that the, when I heard from everyone when we launched the Kickstarter for the book, I was completely bowled over because obviously I knew it was a big show and I knew people liked it. And I, but I wasn't aware of how fondly people remembered it. And I got so many uh, DMs from kids who said, my life was shit in the 90s, whether it's because, you know, they were poor or their mum and dad's fault or they got bullied at school. And they so many of them said, Games Master was this world that we could escape into um, where I felt there was finally people like me together on something. And people were basically, thank you for making my childhood better that's fucking amazing that we did that rick that's absolutely incredible it is so, uh, you especially know, seeing as we mainly did it by saying that donna air was fisting a musical partner <laughs> don't rem- see don't remind me of stuff like that that was that was also that was what was bad was looking back through the shows and just seeing how many times we said things like that but i think that the the thing i feel worst about was and this was series four where i think because i was so determined to bury the old dominic that i felt wasn't me of series two that that's how i swung completely in the opposite direction and i wasn't smiling i wasn't nice and it wasn't hell uh, and it was my first thing well, i'm dominic i'm back and i'm grumpy but i was so horrible to contestants every <laughs> little kids coming on and i'm ripping the shit out of their hair i'm saying that their girlfriend's copping off for someone else i mean that's <laughs> terrible you couldn't show one episode of that series on telly now it was, it was so I, I, there's even bits in the um and we'll we'll touch on this in a minute actually i won't spoil it let's go to your game game of your lifetime number four okay and we'll, we'll pick it up games of a lifetime number four okay as an example of just the sheer abundant joy that we had in a normal average work day uh the next game is the sega arcade game athlete kings otherwise known as the john regis tony Char- tony jarrett wiggle challenge that you and i uh, commentated on and it was just it took it took uh, it took fucking hours to film because we just laughed and laughed and laughed i've never known so much laughter on any day's work in my life is that. As it was my favourite day of work I think yeah. I've ever had. It was yeah. so funny. Because they laughed. They laughed oh, and laughed and laughed. Brilliant. They were just the perfect, you know, we, we were lucky that most of the guests got it, right? They, 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 they got what the show was about, but they got it and just were, I think, I think it was probably the best day they'd ever had at work as well. <laughs> and it was just, there was the, the four of us together, it was one of those, those things where just, everything clicked and there'd be gag and then an added bit and then an added bit and an added bit and everybody laughed and it was just it was joy it was absolute joy it also built because I, I recently watched it you can you can go onto youtube and if you if you want to watch the entire um challenge which ran yeah. the, the whole length of a, an episode of games master you can watch it on youtube by typing in games master athlete kings and it just pop up um, yeah. and i re-watched it before doing this podcast and it is, I, I still laugh to this day during yeah. it on yeah. some of the comments. But it built 
Like the gags were quite weak to begin with, and yeah. then they just got funnier and funnier as they went on. Because yeah. I think it's because they were laughing at anything. We yeah. because we said literally anything we said, they laughed yeah. at. I thought <laughs> I could say anything here. I could yeah. do anything I want. I felt super powered. They were they, they were two of the loveliest guys, and it's weird because I always find that. Um, like even like when I was doing my sports shows, and I don't know what it is about it, but track and field athletes are always brilliant. They they just and lovely, aren't they? They're so nice people. And I don't, I don't know whether it's because you know they 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 I don't know they're used to fucking running on their own in the cold wet mornings and saying the same way that Biles think boxers are really good that they're just you know they they have this kind of fortitude and they're not spot they're not spoiled you know footballers yeah. are always a challenge you know to interview but but. You know, and our footballers on Games Master were, you know, never the best guests by and large. Yeah. But you know, some a couple of notable exceptions. But yeah, they're they're so giving track and field athletes. They really are, and and those guys were just the absolute peak of it. Lovely guys, lovely guys. Um, and Tony Jarrett was not good at Athlete Kings. It must be no, said as a spoiler alert for something that happened in nineteen ninety six. So there you go. Right, we're coming up to um, towards the end of the podcast. We still have another game to come in a little while. But first, we're going to now move away from Games Master and onto what you did next, essentially. Um, and also, we've, we've touched upon it a lot of times, but we'll also touch upon the book a little bit more in this hmm. section. Um, but I felt... This is a question. I felt after Games Master, I chased and I chased and I chased and I tried to find the same thing mm-hmm. that we had, yeah. never did. Even yeah. with Games World, even with because uh, um, uh, some people might remember that, that Games World came back to Sky long after Games Master finished um, as a really weird little show that was 15 minutes at seven o'clock in the morning every weekday morning. Jeez. It was really weird. However, it ended up outperforming Big Breakfast, which beyond all expectations. Wow. Wow. Um, with Andy Collins, who is uh, who you now probably yeah. see on um, Ant and Dex Saturday Night Takeaway quite a all lot. Right. Okay. He was the presenter. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I did that. However, I, ne- I it was always chasing, and I went to the BBC and I did a video game show there, where they basically t- said to me, "We want to bring you in because you worked on Games Master and Games World," and then ignored everything I told them. <laughs> it ignored the lot. <laughs> I made every mistake yeah. that uh, they shouldn't have made, uh, and got two pilots, a year's worth of my work, and cancelled. But apart from that. Um, do you feel the same? Do you feel that you chased and you chased and you chased what we had, but never quite attained that kind of satisfaction? Uh, in media, yeah. in yeah, media I think, specifically. Yeah, I, th- I think so, um, and I think that that is a recurring theme in the book. Is uh, everyone says that? You know, even pe- people like Adam Wood, who you know went on to become a very, very big producer of some very big TV shows. And they all say that we, it spoiled us, that experience, because we just thought that all the media would be like that. Every day would be like that. And and it's not. And I've had little pockets of it, um, you know, like random pockets. Like, so I, I did a, 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 a day, it's going to be so funny. How can you compare the two? I did a daytime cooking show for STV, the ITV franchise up in Scotland. Um, called Boiling Point, and it basically, I love this, it was basically the right, first half was a quiz about food with, like, um, punters, 
and uh, and instead of points, they got ingredients. And then the second half was basically a ripoff of Ready Steady Cook, right? Where they had to take those ingredients yeah. and, and make a meal. And I loved it because I loved food. And I worked with a chef, um, John Quigley in Glasgow, who was used to be a, a chef to Brian Adams and Guns N' Roses. He was this rock and roll chef. <laughs> and it was just a laugh. It was just a love. And I remember thinking, this is as much fun. But it only lasted one series. Um, you know, and it wasn't the greatest, you know, TV thing ever. Um, but I think, and I had little shades of XFM Scotland. It was probably the thing that people probably the only thing people remember as fondly is, is people who were in Scotland at the time and remembered that that era of that breakfast show where, you know, we 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 helped the likes of Biffy Clyro in Las Vegas and the Fratellis and the View. We helped launch them. And that was an amazing time to be there with those kids in those bands at that time. And that was brilliant. Another and but you know unfortunately another example of a I've had this thing, Rick. I've had Every female boss I've had in my career has been fantastic. There's so many times a female boss has left because they've yeah. retired or they're, they've, you know, they've gone off to start a family and they've been replaced by a male. And every time that's happened with me, I've lasted about three months in the job. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but uh, so that happened with XFM. But I think the problem is Rick, where, where it spoiled me. It wasn't just a fun thing. It was. I was very lucky that when I came back to Games Master on Series 4, that I was allowed to be in control of everything that yeah. nobody could make me say something unless I didn't want to, that I got to write everything. And even better, write stuff with Johnny Finch, which was just nobody ever got me like he did. Um, but there wasn't anything we could do that I, I could say no. And I kind of took that into the rest of my career. And it's not like that, especially if you're a presenter, that a producer's expect you to just shut the fuck up and read the words. And yeah. that has affected my whole career. And even in Canada, um, where you know I've 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 you know presented some of the biggest breakfast shows on the radio in Canada, but sooner or later I've had some arsehole boss take over and try to tell me what's funny. No, you fucking don't tell me what's yeah. funny. You know, and 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 this is the one thing that I've always liked about Danny Baker. I know that he's you know a complex figure these days. Um, I know, but Danny Baker was always the same. Danny Baker was like, no, I do my fucking show my way yeah you do yeah. your, and that's it because if i don't i'm not the talent you think i am so games master spoiled me in that um you know the rest of my career i've had problems when i've said to a producer no i'm sorry i, I need to do it this way and that's not devaluing the fact that i say we had the greatest time you quite honestly were the hardest working person that i knew at that time you worked yeah, yeah, I do work hard. Really, yeah. so hard on yeah, every single you. episode of Games Master. You wanted it to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, I mean, and that's how, you know, people say to me, you know, how, how did you manage to, because I started as a complete unknown in Canada um, on the smallest radio station, CKBW, Nova, Nova Scotia, and, and got up to one of the biggest morning shows in Toronto in like about three, four years. And people say, well, how do you do that? Well, I did it by two, by two ways. One, I was lucky that I had a couple of brilliant bosses who were big fans of British radio. Um, I was lucky because Craig Ferguson opened the door in North America for people with my accent. You know, it was like his success meant people, you could have a Scottish accent and do stuff. And the, But the third reason was I worked twice as fucking hard as everyone else on the radio. And commercial radio, sorry to burst people's bubbles, is uh, presented by the laziest bastards in any media industry ever they coast they turn up they don't prepare stuff they just 
talk whatever stupid shit their producers tell them to do or their program directors do, and then they go home and they don't really care about it and they play the same eight songs. And so, um, so yeah, but yeah, I, I, I do work. I, yeah, I do yeah, it'd be me if I got radio gig. That would be yeah. me. Yeah. I, I literally wouldn't give two shits. <laughs> well, fuck it, no one else does. I mean, apart from apart from the geniuses, and this is why Chris Evans is fucking different than everyone else yeah. because he's you know he he's the hardest working guy in the world as well. And he actually he influenced me so much on Games Master because I saw him when I when I did a feature for the Big Breakfast on the Sleepwalker comic relief game that Vic Reeves played on the show, and I remember seeing uh, we were in HMV and I saw Chris Evans work, and even though he was the presenter. He was telling the camera where to go. He was saying what shots they were going to do. Now. And I realized you are controlling the whole thing. And I'm Indeed. like, that's that's why you're so good. That's why Chris Evans is so good. Because he's just got his eye on everything. And that's yeah, what you have to do definitely to, control, to control that product. And that's why Games Master was so good. That's what, That's why that version of Games Master was so good, was because we controlled it. I think it's actually endemic to everything that happened at Hewland. Because, like you said, a lot of people, like I was hired as a, a video games journalist that became somebody who did television, yeah. who yeah. could make television, who could be on television. And um, and that happened to a lot, lot of us. Chris Knight, Doug Johns, uh, Richard Wilcox. Yeah. He was a games, he was a software writer, as we've established. He was a games yeah. writer who became a producer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and Jane made a, took a punt on all of us. Yeah. And funny enough, it was the people that came from television that didn't last very long because if you look at it, because they came in with their preconceptions of how television yeah. was meant to be made. We yeah. came in with no preconceptions of how that's television a, was meant to be made. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent fact. There was at one series, we had a celebrity booker that came in and, and only lasted a couple of weeks. And, and they were like a very yeah. big established celebrity booker, but we just did things differently. And yes, and that is all down to Jane Hewlin. Jane Hewlin was just the greatest visionary in the history of television and she was absolutely amazing. And you're right. She gave us a chance. And, and you know, that's also why we all worked hard, because we were like, shit, we can't let this woman down. She was incredibly inspirational. Um, I mean, she fucking, you know, she told you straight. You oh, know, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I was Jane very, very yeah. lucky to be mm. there on and off eight years in the end. Yeah. So, yeah. Great you know, I have a, a huge amount of respect for Jane. It was only because she, she basically was, about to wind the company down that I ended up leaving. Became <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a journalist uh, again. Well, no, I went to the I, BBC. Oh, I just, I just wish she hadn't sold the fucking rights. Yeah. Um, is, well, talking oh. about that, I was going to mention this to you. This is another thing, is that um, I was at Future when we first started talking about resurrecting Games Master. Right. And I was called by James Binns, who had actually been on Games Master and. Um, he was a he was one of the um, top uh, uh, sort of group editors at Future at the time, and he was being given the ch- given the sort of like the poison chalice in many ways, yeah. the poison chalice of making Games Master into a brand new TV show. Why is, why is that a poison chalice though? Because I, it, as it turned out to be, because uh, I thought I had some good ideas, but I thought Future wasn't the right place to do it. That's that was my poison chalice. Is that it was a yeah. it was a company based on getting as many clicks yeah. and as many yeah yeah reads. But it's but and... it's it's, it, it's not it was ne- it's not a poison chalice to bring Games Master back. It never was. It's very simple. All you need is me, yeah. you, Kirk, Dave, Johnny Finch, the producer, Steve, the director. You have the well, whole team. 
and it's a fucking absolute shooting. And they didn't, in their monumental arrogance future, they didn't do it. And that's why it a, took them so long to get it on. And that's yeah. why it didn't work. Well, when I was consultant on it, my first thing is I said, have we got Dominic on board? That was my first question. I said, I can, I can help you make this show. And I was, I, I was editing on a magazine at the time, so I wasn't even, and I wasn't even going to work on it. I was not planning on working on it at all. I was only going to appear on it if they needed me. I didn't really care. I just wanted mm. it to get off the ground because I quite liked the idea. But I said, you absolutely have to get Dominic. And if Dominic can't do it in person because mm. he's, because you were a very busy person then in Canada, yeah, at the very least he has to be the games master itself. One hundred percent. And that's what I wanted, is I wanted you yeah. to be the games master. 100%. And, I, and my my um, choice for uh, New Percent was Simon Amstel. And the reason why is because he was a contestant yeah, in season right, yeah. three as a young child. Yeah. And I thought it was a perfect cycle. It would be yeah. a perfect cycle because everything then would have tied in with each other. And, of course, it, it failed. And then I left Future. And what? I mean, almost 10 years after that, suddenly... I heard that they were they were making. Yeah. Well, I have to, I mean I have to say, I haven't seen one second of it, right? And yep. I made the decision uh, to do that because, okay, what can I say and what can I say? Um, uh, so uh, there were discussions. There was contact a year before this reboot came on air because we had to get the rights to do the Games Master book. Oh yeah. So of th- there was a there was a lot of contact. Well, there was a lot of one sided contact. There was contact from my side and from Johnny's side, and no response yeah and uh and then all of a sudden you know we we break kickstarter because of the book and everyone's talking about it and oh my what a coincidence now they've announced it which stuck with me a little bit and again we send them emails no replies completely ignored right then i get and and you know what this is the first time i've probably i mean i've been talking a bit more and more about this recently this is the first time I've, i've actually said it in this detail and we're Jack sending him emails to this one yeah. guy in particular, yeah. right? Who had the rights to the production company. No replies. Then I get a message from Rab Florence, and I go back way back with Rab, um, and I love him. Great yeah. guy. Uh, Great without a shadow of a doubt, was the if things were going that down that route, he was best presenter for me because he reminded me of you the most out of everybody yeah. they could have had. Well, he so he messaged me and he said, "Listen, he said I've been asked. He said, he said I've been asked to uh, go down audition for the Games Master reboot." And he said, "Why did you say no?" And I said, "Because <laughs> he didn't. They didn't ask me. They didn't even reply to my emails, right, about it." Um, and the thing is, is that I, I would have said, you know, there, there would have been a time when I would have said absolutely not to coming back and doing it. But when that book came out. And all these people got in touch with me saying how much it meant to them. I knew, right, if I have to do this if it comes back. I have, there is no other way of doing this. And, yeah. and fair enough being Games Master, but honestly, fuck that. No, I present the show. It's my yeah. show. Yeah. There has never been another TV show more synonymous with a presenter that I can think of, apart from, I don't know, Magnus Magnus with Mastermind. No, but then people end up taking it. No, but anyway, so. Um, and so, you know, I, I was in touch with, with Rab. And I... And there were still discussions going on about something. 
And I can't see what, because it was Rab's idea and it was a yeah. fucking brilliant idea. It was a really good idea, but it's his idea. It's not for me to discuss. But again, they were not a great people to deal with. The response time to emails, you know, I... Yeah. I've never had a worse response time to emails in my life. And I've been involved in the media for 30 years on two continents. And they were shocking in terms of the reaction time. So anyway, it didn't happen. But I made the decision then. I thought, right, I'm not going to watch the show because I I want to be able to honestly say, if someone says, what do you think about it? I haven't watched the show. Because I don't want to say anything. I might hate it. And I don't yeah. want to slag it off. I don't want to be that guy, yeah. but I don't want to even say anything that people could misconstrue or or take out of context that would affect Rab's chances with the show because he is yeah. an honourable guy. He's a totally transparent guy. He's a fucking good guy. And he's he's a, the most the funniest guy Scotland has produced. Said him and Frankie Boyle, the two most funniest people Scotland's produced. He knows his games a lot more than I do. He gives far more oh, of a fuck. Really about knows his games. He's really hardcore knows his games. and he's brilliant. So. Um, it was just, it was a shame. And so even though I haven't watched it, I'm obviously aware because, Rick, my fucking Twitter DMs for the last year, every day was, have you heard about the reboot? Are you involved in the reboot? Why are you not involved in the reboot? What do you think about the reboot? And so it seems to be that this, there was three responses to it. There was the first response, which was, oh, my God, this is the most ridiculous E4 woke box ticking thing ever. And I'm not commenting on that because I've got two extremely woke daughters <laughs> yeah. who have edu educated me rightly in the way of the world. And I, I hate people using woke as an insult, right? So I'm, yeah, just, same. I'm just saying- Absolutely same. That's what people said. I'm not saying I agree. That's what people said, right? So that, yeah. was the one, that was the one group. The second group people were saying, where the fuck is Dominic? Yeah. Where the fuck? You cannot have the show without Dominic. That's it. The third group were actually what you said. And the third group were like, it was all right. Yeah. And that, for me, is the worst insult you can give to a Games Master episode. There wasn't one episode of that show in series one, two, four, five, six, and seven that anybody went, well, it was all right. It wasn't all right. It was unbelievably special. And to say that a Games Master says, well, it was all right. It wasn't terrible. Oh my God, that's hot. That means it's just fucking average. How can you take a show like that? I would rather it was terrible. <laughs> you know, at least try and be bold and make it terrible. But it just so that's just what people say. So I, I now wish they'd never brought it back. My reason for saying it was all right, and I, I've distilled this, I've watched that, that same episode a couple of times. They made it an hour long. Yeah, that was bad. If they'd have cut it together as a half hour show, it would have been good really good because it would have been tight and it wasn't tight it was just no. baggy all the way yeah. through it was really yeah. baggy and all the people involved in it apart i i have a very similar story to you about not being replied to i got a reply three months later when the show was just about to be filmed same with kirk same with kirk yeah, yeah. um and and i had all i had done is i'd said do you need to have a chat because i about any tips, I, yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't levying for a position on it. I wasn't levying for even being on it. All I was offering is, well, you're making games master. I'm happy to chat to you. Mm. Try and stop them making the same mistakes we made early doors to yeah. to make a good TV program. Yeah. Um, 
not a well, but, it, but it's ironic in that there was only one big mistake ever made by Games Master, and that was not having me in Series 3. Like, <laughs> fucking hell, guys, learn from the past. <laughs> yeah, learn I agree. Learn from the past. And the, and the thing is, it's like it's, it's, not, it's not the fault of anybody who was involved in that show. It's not their fault that they weren't me. In the same way that there's, there's, there's radio shows I listen to. The biggest, if you listen to a breakfast show on the radio, and you go into work and you listen to it, and, and you love those people, and they become personal friends. And when they leave, you are furious. And it doesn't matter. The next person that takes over could be better, but they're, yeah. they're not them. And we're all so loyal to things like that. When we yeah, care absolutely. about TV and radio, we really care. And so you're right. The, the next person that takes over doesn't have a chance. Yeah, I a chance. totally agree. Um, and we'll we'll end that there. Um, I do hope it's recommissioned. At the moment, we don't know what's happening to it. It won't be. I, I, <laughs> it probably won't be, but it... No, I, the, the ratings, I mean, fucking nobody watched it. That's because they put it on E4 and YouTube. Yeah. So now we'll come on to your last game of your lifetime. Yeah. I hope not literally. Because <laughs> <laughs> COVID, you never know. Shit. <laughs> oh, you're you're sitting there now going. I really hope Dominic dies because this will be the best fucking. Ah, oh, my viewing feed, my re- my readership will go up by at least ten people. <laughs> All right, so your last game. Yeah. Games of a lifetime, number five. Okay, uh, the last game is is FIFA. Not any particular edition of FIFA, but just the game and the franchise in general, because it has been the, uh, the uh, kind of the complicated love of my life game. And I uh, was, as far as I'm aware, one of the very first people to play the original FIFA down in EA's offices in Slough. And uh, I'm trying to think, were you, you might have even been there. Were you there that day with us, Rick? I can't no, remember. I was there for the Sensible World of Soccer World Cup. Yeah, we don't talk about that because I got fucking fucked on that. <laughs> It's terrible. <laughs> I got the, the semi-finals, so I'm happy to talk about it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I remember, I remember going down to uh, to EA and seeing it, and just being blown away. Just this 3D isometric thing, and the multiplayer was just amazing. So, and I, I always liked to, I, you know, I, I, I went across to Pro Evo at times, um, but I'd always keep coming back, and I kept coming back because when they when they started the Ultimate Team, oh, it was just like fiendishly clever. Um, and then, but in the same way that cigarettes are fiendishly clever. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know? um, and um, so I, especially when I moved to Canada, and I, I, you know, yeah, I mean, you know what it's like. But the amount of times that we had so many last playing multiplayer games with people in the same room, and that was always what FIFA was for me as well. But then I moved to Canada, and uh, nobody likes soccer. Um, so I didn't have anyone to play FIFA with. So you just wanted to play NHL, and NHL got really hard. I don't know if you've played it recently. Uh, yeah, it's it's ridiculously. Now. It, it, <laughs> the NBA games are just ridiculously oh. tough. So the um, uh, so I started playing online, and it was completely sucked into to FIFA Ultimate Team. And I did spend a couple of years where I did that thing you should never do. I bought those fucking gold coins. 
I'd get sucked into the <laughs> microtransaction thing, which I despise about video games. And I always, I always felt so dirty. I would imagine that that's, I would, and I, I must stress that I imagine, I'd imagine that's what you do when you give that massage person the extra 20 quid at the end, you know? <laughs> for the, I just thought, oh, this must be Without a happy ending. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started to really resent it. And then the, the online community was just, so toxic, so horrible and nasty. And I've unfortunately grown up with with like my kids being of the age where they were the first ones to encounter online bullying in that yeah. horrible mass marketed form that it can just go like that. So it was horrible. And and also I um my kids would keep coming up to me going, Oh, I've played this Zelda Breath in a while. That this is sharp. I'm about to go to fucking division five of rivals. So <laughs> I, I I played apart from, you know, kind of like marquee things like, you know, your Red Dead Redemptions and your Grand Theft Autos and whatnot and Max Payne's and games that kind of could get sucked in with the story. I just ignored so many games over the last 10, 20 years that my kids played. So then I thought I, I, I thought I'm going to quit, and then I thought, well, I'll I'll see if the Guardian would be interested in a piece about this because I really liked the Guardian gaming stuff that they did. Yeah, those guys are brilliant. I mean, uh, you know, Keza and Keith and Simon Parker, Keith, right? Brilliant, brilliant, superb stuff. writer as well. So I so I sent it to Keza, and she was like, oh, "Yeah, I really like that idea." And um, uh, so I wrote it up, and she liked it, and she published it, and it just went gangbusters. So then. Um, she said, because she's a phenomenal editor, she said, listen, why don't you make this a, a regular kind of thing and, and go through the games that your kids like and just see. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so FIFA, you know, I liked, I loved it. I hated it. But then I used it to, to kind of start something that has now completely rebirthed my love for video games that through the Guardian column. I just, I, I, I you know, I've written billions of words in my life and, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it, but this, I, I, every single word I write for that Guardian column, I'm just so excited. So that's why I wanted to do more of it. And that's why I started Dominic's little old purple column. Which we'll go straight into. We'll go into this, this last chapter. You're fu- you don't fucking miss, you don't miss a hint, oh, Eric. Man. You're sharp. I, I didn't even need a producer for that. that was <laughs> bloody brilliant. <laughs> So, so yeah, so I, I keep I keep hearing from people who are like, oh, this is great that you're because the, the general kind of uh, um, thrust of the Guardian columns are that um, I find I find a lot of modern gaming kind of quite bewildering. It doesn't really speak to me like the 90s games uh, do. And and people, so many people got in touch with me and said, oh, that's how I feel. I was a kid and I watched Games Master. I loved the games in the 90s, but then I had to get a proper job and then I didn't play games for a while. And now I try and play Call of Duty and it's just fucking mad. And, you know, people are shouting and screaming and saying, I fucked your mother and, you know, and I just can't, and it's all bewildering. And they're saying, you know, what's happening in Twitch and these YouTube streamers and, and, and esports. And I don't, I watch esports thinking it's going to be like Games Master. And it's just people talking about really complex things without jokes. So I thought, right, let's do something to try and build a bridge for all of us in that Games Master generation um, by me taking a look at, you know, both revisiting the games that we played to find out, were they really that good or are we going to roast tinted spectacles? And let's try and see, is there a way we can try and understand what the actual fuck Dota 2 and stuff like that is, is about? Plus, and again, I'm not meaning to sound bitchy, I know there was a whole lot of people who were disappointed with the reboot because it didn't have Dominic Diamond. So that's why I thought I'll call it the little old 
purple column because I had the, the, big, the big purple, purple column, column in the Games yeah. Master magazine. And, and what's great about the Substack platform is that um, originally it was going to be just a written thing. But then they, they had a thing where you could do audio as well. So every week it's released with written and the audio version of me reading it out loud in my uh, unique style. But what it also means is that you can listen to it or read it or listen to it. And then I can put screenshots and stuff like that in the written yeah. version so you can come across both things. You've got the book coming out as well. You've got your big, your little old purple column. Old yeah, it's not big anymore. Art. It was big in the 90s. Yeah. It's little now. Yeah. You know it's it a bit colder in Canada. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, then you've got um, the book coming out, and we, we've spoken about it a hell of a lot during this podcast, but let's speak about it a bit more. We don't um, have I, to. I helped you contribute in a... You did. And, oh, and I, I, want it. I want it to do well. Not because I'm being paid. I wasn't, by the way. I, but I, but I, I, do, but I don't get any more extra money for the hardback. But I get paid from the Kickstarter, so I don't. We, we don't have to plug it. I, you know, I'm not making any more money. People can buy fucking ten thousand copies if they like now in hardback <laughs> from W. H. Smiths and Waterstones when it's out in October. I don't get a penny. You know, Darren, the publisher, does, and he's a lovely guy. So fair enough. But no, my plugging's done for that. It's out there, everybody. That's I'm so enough. grateful. But are you proud them, of it? You know. Oh my god! I mean, right, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't be prouder of it. It's an amazing book, and I'm so grateful that people like yourselves and everyone uh, gave their contributions and their memories because we must have nearly 100 people. Um, and it is the absolute definitive story of of the show at a depth that people just, I don't think they do about TV shows in general. You know, it's just everything from the origins, you know, the people who came up with the music and the graphics and how they did it and why they did it and all our kind of crazy stories so, and I thought, and again, this is what was also irritating about the reboot was it was, you know, the, 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 the full stop on the whole Games Master thing until they were like, oh, someone's making money. We better make some money too. Fuckers, you know. Cut out me saying fuckers, actually, because they might <laughs> stop the book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that bit in for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? That would be the best thing that could possibly happen. Imagine if Future did that. If Future decided to stop that book now, oh, fucking yes, please. I get more people subscribing to my Substack than ever before. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on. Um, and uh, let's leave on your best ever memory of Games Master. What is, the, what is the single best memory you have of that TV show? That's the single best memory. And don't say it's the bit where you asked me about something and I went, and then it was left in. <laughs> I do. Do you know what? Okay. Let, let's do you know what? Seeing as, seeing as this is your, this is your podcast, right? Let's, let's, let's mention another, it's a tiny little thing, but I think this, this summed up Gaius Master, right? Let's say that bit, that, that, this Stephen Hendry golf challenge. And I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, and correct me if this wasn't one, that I walk over to you and I pick up a vase of flowers yeah. and I threw them off the table. Yeah. And and what I always loved about was that um, Johnny and Steve in the edit would always add little sound effects. And that was what exactly and I just loved the fact that these were always little treats for me was that even you know I, I would go on, I would, you know, I would I would write the stuff for the show and I would go on and, and it just, you know, we would bust the gut, man making this thing and we would go off set and i'd be like oh i'm so excited this is going to be brilliant and then i'd start turn up and they'd have made it even better just with like silly little sound effects and everything and so i i'd like to say that that was a love that was a lovely lovely moment for me it was a great challenge it was a great series and just little fucking sound effects man they're just they're brilliant 
Let's have more of them. You should put one on now, Rick, like a fart sound effect. Oh, I, I know. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Fuck, I should have timed this better. Hang on. <laughs> Fuck, I thought I had a fucking... Oh, I thought I had a whoopee cushion in my drawer. I don't. Damn. For the people listening stereo, <laughs> that was Dominic was reaching into his left hand drawer, yeah. rummaging around in what can only be described as weird objects. It was. It's, do you know what? It is actually a weird object because I've got, I've actually got. Oh, the people can't see this. It's a fucking. Podcast. They can't see it, but no. you could describe it. it got, uh, I could see it. A, a, a squeegee banana. Yeah, I have got a squeegee banana, and I've got a. Um, I've got a gardening glove, <laughs> and I've got a whole lot of dice from a, of what was a very complicated board game, and I've got them all in a, pla- in a fucking um, Ziploc bag. Don't ask me why. Oh, because we're in our fifties. That's why you're in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> That's because you're right. Everything's in Ziploc bags these days. <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. We're going to be buried in giant Ziploc bags. <laughs> Keep us fresh. <laughs> And on that note, I think, um, oh, God, you've been a brilliant guest. It's been so good catching up with you. I haven't really spoken to you for 25 years, no, which is extraordinary. I, um, I, I know, and I'm, and I'm just I'm just kind of worried because because it's been so much fun talking to you again as a mate. I honestly have I've forgotten what I've said. <laughs> and I'm just like, I haven't said anything that's been really fucking bad. Um, and I don't think I have. Um, we're basically talking about the reboot and the future publishing. So if I've, you know, if I've gone over the line with that, I'd like to apologise to Rab Florence and the presenters. And um, I'm not going to apologise to the future. No. So that's it for this, as Dom would say, huge episode of the Games Life a podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Also, give me a shout on Twitter at Rick Henderson with your thoughts and any suggestions for future guests. I'm always happy to have a chat. Until next time, and I promise I won't leave it so long, I've been Rick Henderson, and you've been very persistent to get through this mammoth edition. Tatty bye.